0: Let us continue in worship this morning by opening God's Word to Acts chapter 24, Acts chapter 24, and this morning we are looking at verses 24 and 25, Matthew 24, 24, and 25. Listen now to the reading of God's Word. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. That is the reading of God's word for us this morning. If you are interested in greater context for these verses, I would suggest you go back to last week. Uh, we were in chapter 24 as well. Uh, but I just, uh, on Monday when I opened God's word and I asked myself the same question I asked myself every Monday, what am I going to preach on this week? I couldn't get past uh, these two verses. And so we're here uh, again. In Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, or through 20, right before his ascension, Jesus spoke about his authority. And he said that he had been given not some of it, but how much? All of it. That's an easy question, right? All of it. Authority over what, exactly? Well, first, he said, in heaven. In heaven. And I would venture to say that most Christians... Have no problem with this. No problem with this. Jesus can have all authority in heaven. Let's give it all to Jesus. We don't even know what's up there anyway, right? Jesus can have it all. We are generally comfortable with that thought. I'm not quite sure if the second part of his statement is equally as welcomed or equally as understood. He did not stop with heaven. As you will know, he also said all authority, where? On earth. On earth. Notice that there is no qualification added when it comes to earth. The same amount of authority Jesus possesses in heaven, he possesses also, where? On earth. There is no footnote next to the word earth with the explanation, some restrictions apply. Jesus has all authority everywhere. Everywhere. I believe one of the reasons some may have a difficult time agreeing with Jesus' earthly authority as a present reality and already at work in this world is that when we look around it, it all seems way too dark. Not only that, but the church often seems way too weak. How can Jesus have all authority on earth, really? How do we harmonize the present state of the world and Jesus having all authority over it? Can we? I believe the conversation between Paul and Felix reveals what Paul thought of Christ's present earthly authority And it seems clear to me that when Paul said, Jesus is Lord, he meant those words to their fullest extent. Here's Felix, an earthly man with an earthly role, with earthly power, and with an earthly life. But here comes Paul and says, I present to you the Lord of heaven but also the Lord of earth. He may not say it like that, but I believe that is what he meant. Now, before we dive in, a word of clarification. In this sermon notes, I have chosen to go with the word jurisdiction, simply because jurisdiction speaks about someone's or uh, the extent of someone's authority. The extent of someone's authority. And that's where, what we see here in this conversation between Paul and Felix. Paul not only implies Christ's authority, but he speaks in very specific terms about the extent of Christ's authority. As we shall see, it touches everything. So as we look at these two verses, verses 24 and 25... We are basically asking the following question. Over what does Jesus have jurisdiction? What is the extent of his authority on earth? On earth. Well, Jesus himself said, "All authority in heaven and on earth is now his." Now let's see this in more detail. Obviously, I'm not offering you an exhaustive list of the extent of Jesus' jurisdiction on earth, but I believe this is a good place to start. First, let me point out a connection here which I did not make last week, at least not very strongly. Look at these verses again, 24 and 25. Remember that verse 25 is the explanation of verse 24. In other words, verse 25 explains how Paul spoke to Felix and his wife, Drusilla, about faith in Christ Jesus, so we don't have to guess as to the content of Paul's presentation. Let me propose a simple paraphrase of what we have in these two verses to see if it makes sense to you. Let's read them together with some paraphrasing here. Verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about what? Faith in Christ Jesus, verse 25. And as Paul did so, you understand what I'm saying? Or as Paul spoke of faith in Christ Jesus, both are legitimate options. Verse 25 is not a change in subject. Rather, it is the expanded version of what Paul said when he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And for Paul, it meant to speak or to reason about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. This is what Paul said to Felix. That connection matters between those two verses and is critical for understanding the authority of Jesus on earth. Why? Well, because Paul is inviting Felix to faith in Christ Jesus. And that invitation to faith involves the recognition of lordship that invitation to faith involves a recognition of lordship this i hope will become clear as we move along with that in mind let's see where our passage takes us first over what does jesus have jurisdiction on earth here's the first point jesus jurisdiction encompasses Every social sphere, Jesus' jurisdiction encompasses every social sphere. And I have three blanks there, governors, princesses, and kings. In the next chapter, Paul will extend an invitation to faith in Jesus to King Agrippa. We will see it when we get there. In this conversation, Paul is speaking with Felix and Drusilla. We talked a little bit about Felix last Sunday. I mentioned that his brother, Pallas, was the emperor's right-hand man. And therefore, Felix was one of the emperor's favorites. He was a governor of a province called Caesarea. Felix, because of his connection with the emperor, he could get away with much corruption because of his easy access To the emperor himself. In other words, what we're saying is, Felix was a very powerful man. What about his third wife, Drusilla? Well, she was also a somebody. Drusilla was a Jewish princess, daughter of Herod Agrippa. So Paul was literally in the presence of both Jewish high royalty and Roman political power. What a scene. What a scene. And yet, think about this. In Paul's mind, neither Felix nor Drusilla were outside the jurisdiction and authority of Jesus. And so Paul speaks to them about faith in Christ. A very strange concept for both of them, Felix and Drusilla. They both knew about Jesus. They both knew that Jesus had been killed under Jewish instigation and Roman brutality. They both knew enough about Jesus, or as they called it, the way, to maybe think of Paul as funny or crazy, or as Festus will say in chapter 26, verse 24, as a man out of his mind. Out of his mind. Undoubtedly, both Felix and Andrew Silla thought of Paul as someone worthy of contempt, someone worthy of contempt. Why should either of them care about faith in Christ Jesus when, at least from an earthly perspective, they, they had it all? They had it all. They had power, riches, and they had respect. They had authority. Why would they even give Jesus a second thought, especially coming from a battered old man who had scars all over his body, is weak and is frail, and quite honestly looks like a nobody? I'm talking about Paul. Why should these powerful people even listen to good old Paul? Well, the biblical answer is that they should have listened to this battled, battered, old, and weak apostle because behind his words about Christ Jesus stood God himself. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12, God speaks these words concerning his anointed. God says this concerning his anointed, Psalm 2. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O, anybody know, rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Psalm 2 was explicitly applied to Jesus both by Peter in Acts chapter 2 and by Paul in Acts chapter 13. Jesus is the one of whom Psalm 2 prophesied. I can't help but wonder if Paul had Psalm 2 in mind as he spoke with this Roman ruler and this Jewish princess. I guess it is somewhat speculative on my part, but Paul was a Jewish man who knew the Old Testament very, very well, and who also knew that in Jesus, Psalm 2 had been fulfilled. In Jesus, Psalm 2 had been fulfilled. Therefore, it is not completely outside of the realm of possibilities that here Paul is inviting this ruler and this princess to serve the Lord with fear and to kiss the son. I believe this makes much biblical sense, but regardless of whether Paul had Psalm 2 on his mind, one fact is already established beyond a shadow of doubt. For Paul, both governors and princesses were within the Lord's jurisdiction and authority, hence his invitation to faith in Jesus. But notice next, How Paul does it, how he extends this invitation to faith in Jesus is even more revealing. Here's what I here's what we learn about the authority of Jesus on earth next. It not only encompasses all social and political spheres, here's second, Jesus' jurisdiction comprehends every existential realm. Jesus' jurisdiction comprehends every existential realm. What do I mean by that? Two blanks there. Inward and outward life. Inward and outward life. The, the word existential, I'm not using it in any technical sense. I'm only speaking of human existence or experience. The jurisdiction of Jesus est- extends over all of it. What do I mean by that? I mean our inward and our outward life. What you do with your inward thoughts, affections, emotions, and what you do with your outward deeds, all of it is under the Lord's jurisdiction. Not only are all societal Roles under Christ's jurisdiction, but also all of life itself, all of it, life itself. In verse 25, Paul takes his invitation to faith in Jesus to the highest possible level. By speaking to Felix and Drusilla about righteousness and self-control, listen to this, by speaking to Felix and Drusilla about righteousness and self-control, Paul is essentially telling them That faith in Jesus involves an entire reordering of one's life. An entire reordering of one's life. Because Jesus is Lord, Paul is saying, you can no longer live for yourself. Jesus has the authority even to tell you how to live. Both inwardly and outwardly. Felix, as we saw last week, was not a man known for self-control or righteousness. He was given to political corruption and moral wickedness. As far as Felix was concerned, life was essentially a free journey with little to no accountability. But notice the comprehensive nature of the jurisdiction of Jesus. It penetrates even into the heart of the mind, and the soul. It is one thing for a king to have certain jurisdiction over his subjects, but Jesus is claiming it at all, even down to self-control. Even down to self-control. And what about righteousness? Well, the point is here, Felix does not get to define what righteousness is. Jesus gets to define what righteousness is. Yes, talk about jurisdiction. Felix thought he had authority, but Paul is talking to him about a king who has authority comprehensively over all human offices and even over all the realms of human experience. So Felix doesn't get to define what righteousness is, for righteousness is defined by Jesus, nor does he get to do whatever he wants because Jesus commands self-control. So the question we must ask at this point is this, who is this king that can even demand that I honor him with my inward life? Who is this king? Well, here's David's answer. In Psalm 24, verse 10, David said, the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Jesus is the king for whom the ancient doors had to be lifted up so that he could come in, and he did. Having died for our sins and having been raised from the dead, Jesus ascended, entered into his glory, and sat at the right hand of power, now possessing all authority. Where? In heaven and also on earth. Felix had never heard of a king with jurisdiction such as this in fact think about this not even the emperor could make such claims there is a new king in town Paul said Felix him you must serve with fear and in him you must rejoice with trembling Felix kiss the son through faith but this has been the Christian call for centuries hasn't it This should not surprise us at all. For the last few weeks during the Sunday school hour, if you have been here, you know that we have been seeking to understand how to honor Jesus with our inward life, especially during conflict. Why do we do that? Because we as Christians believe that Jesus is Lord over all of life. He's Lord even over how we deal with and respond to conflict. What kind of king is Jesus? Well, he's the one with all authority on earth in the here and now. An authority on earth that encompasses all social spheres as well as comprehends every realm of human experience, meaning inward and outward life. Jesus is Lord really really. And as I said last week, in this conversation, Paul was holding Felix and Drusilla accountable to Jesus. Paul was extending an invitation to obedient faith or to the obedience of faith, as Paul calls it in Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Paul, if you think about it, was seeking to make of Felix a disciple of Jesus. But how? Well, precisely as Jesus said we should by teaching felix to obey all that jesus had commanded even if in summary form consider the words of paul in titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 paul said that for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live what self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I'm going to read that verse again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then Paul adds this in the same uh, verse, Titus 2 verse 13, He says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. How does Jesus purify us? By his Holy Spirit. After all, if you think about it, self control is what? It's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, when we put the flesh to death and we walk by the Spirit, which involves self-control rather than out of control, which is how Felix had lived his life, when we walk by the Spirit, we manifest in ourselves the teaching of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Christians are a testament to the Lordship of Jesus as the Spirit conforms them into His image. And this, my friends is how Jesus exercises his authority on earth through a new humanity that shines a light into a dark world. But let's keep moving forward. Here's what we see next. Jesus' jurisdiction surpasses every worldly kingdom. Jesus' jurisdiction surpasses every worldly kingdom. Why? Why? Judgment is his. Judgment is his. Included in Paul's words about faith in Christ Jesus was the element of coming judgment, as we see clearly in verse 25. This is very important. Felix and Drusilla, as well as most people living under some form of empire, would have thought that judgment was in the hands of whoever, whoever was in power at any given time. If the Romans are in power, then to the Romans belong the ability to judge, to bring judgment. And from their perspective, if you think about it, this made a lot of sense. After all, in this conversation, who was under Roman custody? It was Paul. It appeared as though Felix was in control, not Paul. Therefore, Paul's message would have seemed strange in Felix's ears. Felix could have thought to himself, wait a minute, Paul, you are speaking to me about a king who has cosmic jurisdiction, even over kings and even over our inward lives, yet you are the one in prison. How does that work, Paul? How does that work? Well, it works because Jesus rose from the dead. If you turn a few chapters back, chapter 17 of Acts, it is likely that Paul's presentation included a strong reference to the resurrection because Paul often made the connection between resurrection and coming judgment. In Acts 17 verse 31, when Paul spoke to the Athenians, Paul said this, that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead there you see it paul making a connection between coming judgment and the resurrection of jesus why is jesus the coming judge because he died was buried And on the third day, he walked out of the tomb physically, but with a renewed, indestructible body. He is the firstborn of a new creation. Jesus is the firstborn of a new creation. As such, he has been given the right to judge the worlds. Now, at this point in the conversation, Felix could have just dismissed Paul, tell him that he's crazy, and go on with his normal life. But that's not what happened. It says, rather than upon hearing about righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment at the hands of Jesus, Felix was what? Alarmed. Alarmed. Why? Well, here's our next point. Jesus' jurisdiction exposes every fleshly passion. Jesus' jurisdiction exposes Every fleshly passion. And I have two words there for you. Fear and hiding. Hiding. I believe Paul, this old, battered, no body of a man, touched a raw nerve. A nerve that is very much raw and alive in every human being, even if some try to hide it. Look at the word again. It says that Felix was alarmed. In the Greek New Testament, the word for alarmed is emphobos. Emphobos. Does it sound familiar? Emphobos. Phobo is the word for fear, right? Fear, which we get compounded words such as arachnophobia, right? Or claustrophobia phobia. A phobia is a fear of something. So Felix wasn't just alarmed. He was frightened. He was frightened. Why? Because Paul opened up a whole new world to Felix. A world in which we all, all of us, no matter our rank, our political affiliation, or our place in the social strata, all of us are accountable to one who both died and conquered death and has now assumed a place of absolute authority. And so Paul touched a nerve with Felix, and it was this. Here's the nerve. Felix, judgment is coming at the hands of of the Jesus I'm presenting to you, and we have already established the fact that you are not ready for it. You're not ready for it. You might be able, Felix, to have free access to the emperor, but this king, the one I'm presenting to you, in whom you must believe and for whose glory you must live, he has judgment in his hands. So, what did Felix say? Thank you, Paul, for letting me know. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Now, what did Felix say? Go away, Paul. Go away. Felix was like Adam and Eve in the garden. Upon hearing about accountability to the Lord, Felix immediately sought to hide. It is as if Felix heard the Lord walking toward him and sought refuge. At the prospect of having to repent of his current life and having to one day face judgment at the hands of a truly righteous king, Felix decided that the best course of action was to flee. And so he did by sending the messenger away. But in the meantime, Felix hoped... For a bribe, for a bribe, as we can see in verse 26, which reveals that Felix's heart was bad soil. Remember the parable of the soils. Felix's heart was bad soil. It rejected the seed of the word that Paul was seeking to plant. But we can even be more specific. Felix's heart was thorny soil, thorny soil. Jesus explained it like this. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. Think about Felix. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Matthew thirteen twenty-two. Felix is a case in point. In love with money and in love with power, he did not seek forgiveness in Jesus, but he sought riches from Paul. He sought riches from Paul, but the Lord will not be mocked. Here's what we see next. And I believe this is our last point, isn't it? It is, okay. Good. Thank you for telling me. Jesus' jurisdiction counters, or you can say contradicts, opposes every human notion. Counters every human notion. It's made perfect in what? Can you guess the word? Made perfect in weakness. The authority of Jesus. We're talking about the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, made perfect in weakness. Please think of the scene for a moment. Use your sanctified imagination for a moment. Felix had earthly power and riches. He had the Roman tribune, centurions, and hundreds of soldiers under his command. Even the emperor himself was on Felix's side. What did Paul have? Nothing earthly to be seen. Not even one soldier on his side and no money or properties to his name. I want you to think about this, how interesting it is. If you would have seen this conversation with your own eyes you would have seen both power and weakness literally in the same room. You would have seen on the one hand Felix dressed in his official garb, indicating his role as a ruler of the people. And you would have seen Drusilla, his wife, probably boasting of princess-like jewelry and dress. And on the other corner, you would have seen Paul. With nothing to show but the scars of persecution, beatings, and old age. He was nothing impressive to look at. Nothing at all. But this is precisely what is so impressive about the kingdom of God. Have you thought of that? The power of the kingdom of God is made perfect. How? In weakness. The kingdom of God doesn't need all the displays of grandeur and splendor. It grows through apparent weakness. Think of the scene again. Paul spoke to Felix from a position of weakness. While Felix listened from a place of power. But this is the kingdom of God. It operates by rules that counter every human conception and every human notion of what it means to be powerful and what it means to have a kingdom. And yet, it is mighty. It is mighty. Mighty enough that Paul, even at his weakest point, point under Roman custody with scars all over his body, could speak words that frightened a Roman governor. And all without a single demonstration of earthly or physical power. Paul had no soldier under his command, no sword to wield, no riches to boast in. Paul inspired nothing but contempt. Contempt. But Jesus, because of his comprehensive authority, he doesn't need the powerful. He doesn't need the mighty. He does not need the impressive. His power, in fact, is made perfect in weakness. His is a kingdom like no other kingdom. And this reminds us of the heart of it all, doesn't it? Think about this for a moment with me as we're bringing this to a close. Who would have thought, who would have thought that a Jewish man, son of a carpenter, from an obscure town called Nazareth, by that man hanging from a cross, dying and being mocked by the Jews, And despised by the Romans, that man in that very moment was accomplishing redemption for the entire world. In that moment, he, Jesus, allowed darkness to do him its worst. And through the worst, he conquered all evil. In fact, think about this. It was at his weakest point, death on a cross, that Jesus accomplished his strongest victory, salvation for the world. It was on his cross, through his death, that Christ defeated the powers of evil. As Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, Through His cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. It was done through the cross. His greatest work, think about this, His greatest work was veiled behind a cover of apparent defeat. And if the rulers of this age would have known this, They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Darkness humiliated the Son of God to the point of death. But it was through that very humiliation that Jesus gained the victory permanently, definitively, and eternally. And that, my friends, is the kingdom of God. Not surprisingly, here is Paul, like Jesus, his Lord, speaking to power from a position of utter and visible weakness. Yet Felix is frightened while Paul exercises self control under the most trying of circumstances. At no other point, at no other point is the comprehensive jurisdiction and authority of Jesus seen most clearly on earth. Than when those who belong to him do not give into the impulses of the flesh, but manifest a new principle in their lives. What the Bible calls fruit. And when those who belong to Jesus walk by the Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what else? Self-control. They show that Jesus Is king indeed. That is true spiritual power. So I want to finish with this. Imagine for a moment, use your imagination again. Imagine for a moment that Felix had believed in Christ Jesus. Imagine the impact. Everything would have changed for Felix. Had he believed in Jesus, including his role as what? Governor. Governor. He would have become a righteous ruler, seeking true justice, punishing evil, and promoting good. Moreover, he would have learned self-control, and he would have remained faithful to his wife, Drusilla, for the first time in his life putting his political and worldly ambitions to death. He would have become a man bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Had Felix come to faith in Jesus, the entire province of Caesarea would have looked differently, undoubtedly. Had he believed in Jesus, Felix would have become a living picture of what Paul describes in Romans chapter 13. But let us not use our imagination. Let us come back to reality. He did not believe in Jesus. Instead, the story tells us that Felix remained unrighteous, out of control, and a lover of money and power. He remained cruel and callous. Moreover, throughout the entire or the remaining of the story in the book of Acts, guess what? Paul will continue to look weak and frail, especially in the presence of earthly rulers, earthly power. Nothing, think about this, as we read through the book of Acts and as we come to the end, nothing will look like a kingdom. Nothing. Yet the kingdom of God is made perfect precisely in what? In weakness. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all what? Leavened. Let me paraphrase. The kingdom of Jesus is now, even if it doesn't look like it. Brothers and sisters, do not let the darkness of history, whether past, present, or future, whether global or personal, hide this precious truth from view. Jesus grows his kingdom. In mysterious ways. Slowly. Almost imperceptibly. And often surrounded by weakness. But one day. Everything will be leavened. Until that day. What do we do? We walk by faith. And not by sight. Let us pray together. Father we thank you for reminding us through the life of Paul. Through his ministry. What the kingdom of God is really. About. That it's not really about eating or drinking or conquering with the power of the flesh. But that the kingdom of God is about living in light of the work of the Spirit. And through that life, you bring about your power and your rule on earth. So help us to continue to be people who put the, death to, the flesh to death who put everything that is earthly in us to death and help us to know what it means to walk by the Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And at the end of it all, may all the glory be yours and yours alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.